هاي ذا 7 انجينير بودكاست ناو مي عبد الرحمن عاطف ان دكتور غانم كشواني وي ار دوينغ ذا 7 انجينير بودكاست ذات وي كان توك اباوت ذا بينيفيت اباوت ذا 7 انجينير اند ذا بايب وي كان بايب ذا 7 انجينير وي كان دو ذا بيست وي كان دو اند اي هوب يو كان لايك ات ثانك يو Hey guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening from where you are. What's up, guys? I hope you are doing great. In this episode, we speak with Maya Telchiles. I hope I speak it correctly. She's a German woman who migrated from Germany to the US and she was in $135,000 debt, actually. And she bootstrapped herself like in photography and she opened a couple of business. She felt on most of them. But her success business was in photography and she sold it to Bill Gates for a couple of good deal for some multi-million dollar deal. She's among one of the top 100 global thought reader by People Hum and she's one of the 50 most follower women entrepreneurs by HuffPost. She's a strategic advisor from Version 100 Global Band and she helped organization to grow their brand and her five-star success pro methodology. She's a leadership, a professional team builder, executive, and she helped a lot of people, especially women. Well, she has one of the book, which called Happy Woman, Happy World, How to Grow from Overwhelmed to Awesome. And she helped women in the corporate trend to succeed in their careers and their health. It was quite a couple of good episodes. We have, she's an amazing woman. We have a nice episode. And she's really amazing. And she's not top. And whatever happened in this episode is applicable to the injury, by the way. So let us jump to the body and let us see this episode. Thank you. So Ms. Piatti, good afternoon or good morning or good evening. How is everything with you? Everything is really good after we resolved our technical difficulties, Abdurrahman. I am excited to talk to you. Me too. Like I did your story about, you know, on the website and I checked it. It's fantastic, fascinating story about how entrepreneurship and how been failing several times in your life and you go from Germany to drive it to the US and you drive it and you've been you bought your company to Bill Gates and then you start publishing your book so can you tell the audience what about you of course I'll be happy to so my name is Beate Chalette I'm known as the growth architect I live in Los Angeles I am known to be a strategic advisor in the areas of business development workplace unification and uh and career advice. So what I, you know, I'm originally from Germany, as you said, Abdul Rahman, and I moved from the United States, from Los, from Germany to the United States for the Amer- to make my own American dream happen. And then over the period of, um, you know, a decade, I made a lot of very bad decisions. And these decisions then resulted in me being $135,000 in debt. And I was a single mom, had to figure out I was how I was going to make it in America. And I, I fought my way little by little through this and was able to built a business, but I had no money. And, you know, I was in the middle of a lawsuit. September 11th had taken down my production business. I was as broke as anyone could be. My dad had died. I mean, it was just one problem after another. And eventually, 
I've wrote a letter to the president of the United States. I was this desperate. And I got a letter from the White House that put me in touch with the Small Business Administration. And then they put me in touch with their deputy chief director. I was able to refinance my debt, freed up my line of credit. Three months later, I'm break even. 18 months later, I'm the world leader in my category. And that's what attracted the Bill Gates company to come knocking on my door. And they made me an offer too good to refuse. And that's how I did make my American dream happen. Wow, fantastic. Can you tell the audience how many companies did you open and close? Because I have an experience in that, to be honest. I probably want to say, so first I, re- so first I worked for someone else, and that was closed. Then I started a production company, and I had to close that. I started a photographer representation company, and then I had to close that. Then I built a, you know, the stock photography syndication, which I sold. Since then, I've built a um, photography consulting business, which I've closed, a creative entrepreneur business, which I've closed. And now I'm, you know, I'm focusing on corporate and business clients to really help them to build their businesses, because I recognize that strategy is my sweet spot. So to answer your question, Abdurrahman, <laughs> a lot. I got it with that. To be honest, I opened like five to six businesses before. <laughs> I have this issue on this project. Um, Beata, if, if I may just ask, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by your background, you know, with your books. If I may ask resilience, you know, I think the summary of your story is resilience. You are the re- resilient woman, you know, we have the iron lady, maybe you are the resilient lady. So how resilience come to your life? I mean, how you build it, you know, it's not something you get it by, you know, in one shot, you know, resilience have been built. So... How you get it? You know, I, I mean, I'm inspired by this. Thank you for asking that question, because I think actually this is the key to life or success in general. I think what happens when we when we start our careers uh, early on, we are so afraid of making mistakes. And so when something goes wrong, then we freak out. And this is really a lot of times we have to remember that our entire systems, the educational system is all built on one and one criteria only, which is how much of the information you can retain and regurgitate. But we are not really taught to make independent decisions. We are really taught to follow the tested and tried way. So when we are challenged to make these decisions, we have a 50-50 chance of making a good decision or a bad decision. And then a lot of people, and, and this is a really great message, I think, for your listeners to take home, is if you're afraid of making the wrong decisions, your life will never be what you came here to do. You'll never make the impact you came here to do because you try to avoid taking risks. But if you are here and you focus on the impact that you came to make, the contribution that you came to make, the you know what you want the world to inspire with your designs and with the work that you do, then you're going to have to stretch yourself and mistakes are just part of the uh, part of the path. So resilience comes from when you stop judging that when the mistake shows up or when the bad decision shows up that you are angry at yourself for having made a bad decision. Resilience comes when you look at the the outcome of your decision and say, hmm, 
that that was not a really good thing to do, but now I know what to do. So I compare this when you are, uh, you know, when you have a bad GPS uh, in on, on your Google Maps and you find yourself in a cul-de-sac, a dead-end street, or there's construction and you can't get to your destination, you don't throw yourself on the on the floor and throw a temper tantrum. You'll take your car, you turn around, and you find another way. And so resilience is about find a different way to get there. It's it's nothing other than a road sign. So, so this is important message here. You are saying to me, Ghanim, that accepting vulnerability or embrace your vulnerability is a major segment of your resilience. You need to accept your vulnerability and you turn it as a tool in your side. Absolutely. And not just vulnerability. I like, I, I like that you say vulnerability. But even more than that, it's actually, you know, accountability and responsibility and and losing the shame and the fear to to show up uh, courageous. So I would say add to the vulnerability courage because you're going to need a lot of courage to do the things you came here to do. I actually resonate with that to be honest, to be like vulnerable, it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to make mistake. So do you consider like mistake as an opportunity or no for people? Because for me, for me in my opinion, like mistake is opportunity, is a lesson learned, I call it in my life. So what do you think about that? I actually think um, I don't even call them uh, really mistakes. I do think that all of these things are opportunities in disguise because, um, you know, even even when we look at, at building our businesses, so you you oftentimes our clients make their buying decisions not because they know what they want, but when we present them different solutions, they know what they don't want. And so when you make decisions and they turn out to be, you know, bad decisions, it just means that it shows up as, oh, I really don't want that. Or you you may make a decision and you may make the money and you may get the title and you may, may, may go like, yeah, this is um, a good job, but you may hate the work. So, so then you are caught. So you have to detach the judgment. I think that's where I want to get at with this. You have to detach the judgment on whether or not it's a mistake or not, but always look, where is the opportunity? Am I taking advantage of the opportunity? Am I turning it into an opportunity? And then what do we go? What do we do with it? Are we going to implement this? So you're absolutely correct. If you look at mistakes as just mistakes, that sounds like a really dreadful life to me. But if you look at decisions as either uh, an opportunity or, you know, having sort of figured out how to get something done, you know, then it's all positive and your energy is better and you create more opportunities and more good stuff can come to you. So, Beata, as as people or human being, why do you like to judge? I mean, and like uh, this is a question that I ask myself all the time. I mean, Ghanim, I mean, sometimes you know, I caught uh, I caught myself that I I'm judging more than I'm thinking. I'm I'm not pausing. I know. So, judgment. Why it is easy for us? Why we take this route that we like to judge? Sometimes we are very harsh on ourselves. Sometimes we judge people. So, this judgment happens. I mean, um, how we can get, I don't think we can get rid of it. I mean, how we can 
utilize it or we can use it in a better way that you know in engineering we have something called engineering judgment as you know that we use it in our design and as engineer we like to use the word judgment you know so how we can um to use it in the right proportion i mean in your experience i think yeah that's just another really great question i'm already really liking this interview because you guys you just take me places in different places so the judgment really comes from your old programming right so you have to you have to remember how the brain is how the brain works so all of our programming has been you know put into our heads by the time we were 7 because we were depending on everyone else and then when something happens you go back to what you've been taught as being good or bad and don't forget that it's our parents job to protect us from the evils and the terrible pitfalls of this world and so they want you to be safe and you want to be adventurous and you want to try things and they say you're going to get hurt it's going to be hot you're going to get burned you're going to you know something terrible is going to happen to you and so you grow up always watching out for the shoe to drop or something bad to happen and so you obviously attracting that and then you're judgmental of that so when you flip it and you recognize that the judgment comes from really someone else's voice in your head that's not even your own voice but that's your mom your dad your grandparents that all want to keep you safe in this predictable straight shot of sharing their experience but their experience may not be to be courageous their experience may not be to push the envelope their experience may not be to be a, uh, an award winning civil engineer their experience may not be you know the, the 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 woman or the man that's recognized for a groundbreaking design in civil engineering their experience is very different so your judgment you know you ask yourself to answer your question is it my judgment or is it someone else's voice in my head that is telling me that i should be judging myself because who says it's good or bad every part of the journey and i'm glad you said that because i think civil engineers because the engineering brain is trained in a particular way so in order for you to be better at what you do you need to stretch that further than what you've been taught and get more external other disrupting influences in that brain so that you know when it churns and spits out different design ideas that you can come up with stuff that others haven't thought about because it all comes from external influences not from going the tried and proven path does this answer the question I mean me and Abdurrahman Abdurrahman you may help me in this we talk about social conditioning or programming as you mentioned and if I may quote Dr Shivali you know she has amazing books called the awakening family and um, conscious parenting and she talk about that that let's go back to the children and the example that um, you know I have a daughter 5 years old and um, I I I read these books just to be a better husband a better father and there is a line that it caught me it says that the main uh, challenge between us and our kids is time zone that 
we are so uh, uh, we have this anxiety about their future and we forget to enjoy the present moment but the kids they want to be themselves in the moment itself they don't think about the future they don't think about the past they are living the moment and i, I think you mentioned that so if you I, I, um i want to tell you about this statement that being self-authentic or yourself is expensive but it's worth it as entrepreneur what do you think about this statement? Being self-authentic is expensive, but it's worth it. Oh, yeah, it's very expensive. No question. And, um, you know, I had a, a teacher, a writing teacher, who said to me that if people are not upset with the things you do or say, you're not pushing the envelope hard enough. Because as our job as entrepreneurs is not to make sure that the world loves us, as our, our job as entrepreneurs to find those people we can help with our product, our service, our design, and make sure that that they resonate on the same vibration as we are. And so I find that the, you know, the first part of our lives, we are being programmed to be a certain way. Then we spend, you know, beginning from teenagers to young adults, we try to figure out how to get rid of that and figure out who we are. And then the remaining part of our lives, you know, at about midlife, we learn that now that we know who we are, we really need to understand how other people function. And so that, you know, so, so, so life really is this path in this development of your, what is your authentic self? But I find you know, and, and I'm, you know, in engineering, what we also have to look at is that the program is pretty, pretty clear, right? I mean, you're trained a very particular type of way. I mean, after all, it's engineering, right? I mean, it has to work. So in order for you to push the envelope and be authentically yours, you have to have that vision first. And then once you have the vision, you, you reverse engineer, you know, how are you going to achieve that within the confines of what you've been taught and the authenticity is really the trust in yourself to say I got this I can do this I came here because I have a purpose and I came here to leave my mark and to make something better and different and I am capable of doing it and the, the the cost comes from then people say, who the heck do you think you are? What makes you think that you can X and X and X and X and X and X? And that's where, that's the price. Not everyone who got you from here to there wants to see you succeed all the way. I found that the people, after I sold my business to Bill Gates, and it was a transaction of multi-millions of dollars that I knew who the people were that were okay with me being broke and miserable and who the people were that were cheering me on to be the best version of myself. You will lose friends. You will lose uh, partners and colleagues. And you will have conflict just because that's the part of growth. Uh, definitely you pay your dues i mean you earn it you earn it you know it's with blood and tears to reach to this state i mean um, dare to be different i mean uh, abdurrahman what do you think are we dare to be different as engineers yeah sometimes we have to be different sometimes we have to, even as engineering and entrepreneur 
we have to be uncomfortable. Like this is what I believe, this is what I believe, like comfortable being uncomfortable. So do you agree with Ms. Payat for being uncomfortable? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is no growth without being uncomfortable. I mean, there just isn't unless you, because then you're not pushing the envelope, then you're just staying within the confines of what you've already done. I mean, remember the first time uh, you went on the bicycle, the first time they took your your, your, your training wheels off, the first time you, you went swimming without uh, swim wings, the first time you drove a car, the first time you skied. It's always uncomfortable until you master the ski. Fantastic. I love, I resonate with that. Like, you know, like what you did and you did and you will lose friends for sure. Like one type tell me like friendship, like it's a pass. You will pick some friend and in one journey you will leave them. Not what everyone will go with you with the same route. Do you agree with me with that, Ms. Payat? A hundred percent. I believe that friendships, that very few people are meant to go with us the entire path of our lives. Some do. But you are absolutely correct. I love that quote. Yeah, I agree. So when I check when you when I check to your website and note, I hear about it, the woman code. Can you explain to us what that the woman code is? Yeah. So the women's code I designed for the reason that after I sold my business to this Bill Gates company, I recognized as I was in this corporate environment that we had a uh, there was a really difficult. Uh, different way for minorities and women in an organization. So unless you were white and male, a lot of the systems and structures that corporations are building are really not meant for most people. It's only meant for a particular type. I found that men have a code in how they work with each other. There's a loyalty system. There's a scoring system. There's a, you know, I helped you. Now you help me. And women have no code, like none. To the contrary, women take each other down. Women are terrible with each other in organizations. And, um, you know, and, and I'm just going to say the word because, you know, a lot of women are absolute bitches with each other. And it's 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 horrible to watch. And you, and you go, what the heck is going on? Why are you so mean with each other? Well, it comes from the programming, going back to what we talked about earlier, is that we believe that if there's only 2% of women CEOs, only 13% of C-level executive positions for women, only 20% of vice president positions in organizations, then does it make sense to take out our female competitors along the way? Because we already have all this other competition to you know, uh, with the men. So women take each other out because it's a scarcity thinking. Now, if we would operate, and this is why I founded the Women's Code under the premise that, well, if 50% of the world population are women, shouldn't be 50% of all jobs equally divided, you know, or in some sort of balance, then we wouldn't need to take each other out because then everything would be in balance. And so I designed the Women's Code because I wanted to bring this female side of leadership, the, the way women think, the way community, collaboration, uh, vulnerability, all these softer aspects of the business side, which are typically associated with more feminine traits, that these are also getting incorporated in the way we do business. Because this is where 
you know, this is where the trends are going. This is where the world is going. This is where the next generation is going. It's now an inclusive world. So the only way we can be inclusive if we look at diversity of thought. And diversity of thought is men and women, all races, all religions, all belief systems, and every variation within that. Because our clients, the people that are using our designs, are as diverse as we are. So we have to incorporate all these different viewpoints. So that's why I founded the Women's Code. I wanted to make it clear how can you bring that female component to the work that you do. So, Abiyad, I just want to share you an article you mentioned about the among the leadership. And I'm a big fan for John Maxwell books. I'm, I'm reading all his books. And uh, recently, Harvard Business School, in the end of 2020, they published a very interesting article that women by nature are better leader than men. I shared the link in the chat box. And... Um, And they mentioned an example, especially with this pandemic. You can see, like, uh, President Merkel, what she did in the pandemic in New Zealand. So, how, how your insight about that, you know, like, uh, for me, I do believe that, you know, uh, uh, I have been surrounded all my life by women, and I can see that they have this natural feature about leadership that and uh, even Simon Sink, you know, he mentioned about his book, uh, starting with why leaders is late, that women, they have th that uh, nature ability. But somehow you, you also mentioned the point that um, women sometimes are the biggest barrier for other women to go, uh, you know, to the next level. And there's this notion that if I want somebody should lose Why I could win and you win and the society when I said triple win, win for me, win for you and win for the society. So your two uh, insight about these two points. Yes. Uh, so number one, I believe that what we find is when we look at leadership attributes, uh, the leadership attributes that work in a crisis are definitely female centric. And I call them female centric attributes because I I believe that men can have female-centric attributes or they can learn female-centric attributes. And I, as a woman, can learn male-centric attributes like decision-making, strategy, uh, focusing, you know, being more competitive, winning. We, we really need both. But the reason why women fare well in a crisis is because women don't want to win in a crisis. Women understand that they want that that we first need to find consensus because people are upset, people are freaking out, people are stressed out, people are mentally um, under so much pressure and uh, they're worried about their families, they're worried about their income. So the female, the female leader goes in and first says, all right, everybody take a breath. We all in this together. Let's sit down, let's have a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever you believe in or a cup of tea and let's think about what do we what do we need to do to get everybody on the same page. A male leader oftentimes, because in the men's code you have to remember that a lot of the programming in the male world is leaders are decisive, they take actions, they make decisions. So a leader, a male leader is more likely to go in and says, well, I'm the leader. They elected me the leader for a reason. They elected me because I make the be best decisions of all of them. So I'm just going to go in and I'm going to make the decisions. But 
There's a place for that. But in a crisis, and the reason why countries with female leaders fared so well is because women understand that part about leadership. To your second point about why do women take each other out or are the biggest barriers to each other's advancement, they don't know any better. They have been taught that. That's their programming. My own mother raised me to be fearful of other women and uh, taught me that you can't trust other women and other women have only one agenda. They want to steal your husband and they're always jealous of you. I mean, it's all this complete nonsense. I mean, what, every woman out there is after my partner? I mean, what, 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 that's just ridiculous, right? Um, so we grow up being distrustful and we we do that in high school and we do that in our jobs until we hopefully grow up and, and wake up one day and say, I just wasted 10 years, 20 years of my life with meaningful relationship with other women because I've been such a bitch. And I own that in my life. And so when I had my my moment of where I had to really look in the mirror and said, is this how I want to be perceived? Is this how I want to show up? And I recognized that it's such a waste of time to be competitive with other women. And I made it my life's mission to help other women to take as many to the top as I possibly can. Wow, I can resonate with that, actually, to be honest. Because actually, like, even that's the reason why I see in construction we have a big variance, especially between men and female. And I understand that, like, you know, like, I never see it from this perspective unless now I just remember when I sit with women and I, now I can resonate with that. Wow, fantastic. Wow, I, this is, we never see it as, as men. I just isn't, not- isn't, that, isn't that the best part about it, though? Is, uh, and, and this is, you know, um, I think, you know, in, in my brain, in my, my brain works in a very strategic, structured way, which is why I can relate to engineering so much, right? Yeah. Is that then when you really look at what's the structure behind it, where is it coming from, right? Where is the flaw in the design that we need to fix to make it work? So as leaders in engineering, right, now you can go and look at the women in your team and now you know how you can lead them and say, all right, so let's do a team building exercise. You know, let's bring everyone on the same page. What's your contribution? What's your contribution? What's your strong suit? What are you good at? What's your super skill? What's your superpower? Let's all come together and collaborate and and, and really counteract that natural instinct that women are being programmed with to be mean to each other and take charge of it. And you can do that. And then suddenly everything changes in teams. So you believe like we have a team building, like we have to mix in diversity between men and female. And if it's a team building, like you have a mixed group. So that program we will going to remove out and going to be wiped out. What do you mean about that? So there is a study from Harvard and it says that when we look at team intelligence, if you look at a team that's all male, the team intelligence is at about 35%. When you look at a team that's all female, the team intelligence is around 45%. When you look at a team that's 50-50, team intelligence is between 50 and 80%. Wow, fascinating, actually, to be honest. And I have to read this up. You know, I have to go to see this article, to be honest. 
So now, because when I was speaking to you, published a book about, about happy work and how to, for example, can you explain it to the audience? Yes, I'd be happy to. So my book is called Happy Woman, Happy World, Your Foolproof Fix to Get from Overwhelmed to Awesome. So I wrote the book because, you know, again, I wanted to um, establish the women's code and help women to first figure out why there is such a problem with other women. And in my book, I have a concept that's called ego rhythm, which is sort of the big concept of the book. And it says that when we are, we are all driven by perfectionism because that's what we're being taught. That's what media shows us. We see the perfect husband. We see the perfect wife. We see the perfect chef, organic, home cooked, uh, the great father, the great mother, the great, um, you know, the, the, the athlete, the, you know, not just are you fit, but you're running a triathlon and, uh, you get up at six o'clock in the morning and you do your meditation and your mindset piece. And then you're home at five o'clock. You get your work done. You build your business. I mean, you know, when you look at all the different things that society tells you, you need to be a perfect score 10 ad. I mean, it's just mind blowing. So I said, what if, you know, in the concept of ego rhythm, we look at our life like our rhythm, ego rhythm, and it's like a sine wave. It goes up and down and up and down. And when you look back at your life, you see there was a time um, when you had a newborn baby. And so you were, um, you were uh, very much focused on that because it was such a new experience and that took your main focus and then there was uh, a career opportunity and suddenly you had to put a lot of time and energy in that to take care of this career opportunity so you were in a career egorithm you know maybe something happened in your family a family member got sick or your parents needed extra help and suddenly you are in a family egorithm so instead of trying to be a perfect 10 in every single category why are you not focusing? And Ghanim, that goes to what you said earlier, right? Why don't you focus on where you are at now and do that and know that all these other things are out there and they come when is the right time, when you're ready for it, when you've put it into, into motion, when you're planning for it, but this takes you away out of this concept. Ego rhythm takes you away from future thinking, but into the present thinking and saying, wow, I am in this rhythm right now. It's pretty cool. Can't wait what the next one is going to be. And so the book I wrote was written for women, but I'm going to let you in on a secret. The book is written only in a paperback format, so it fits in a purse. And it is written in short chapters. And I recommend all the women to leave it in the bathroom because the chapters are short so that men can, when they are in the bathroom, read a chapter at a time so they know the playbook of the other team. Uh, I mean, it is nice strategy. I mean, uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean yeah, for, for sure, you know, um, it reminds me in the old days when bathroom, it was somehow a place where you can read the stuff before the smartphone, yeah. you know. And um, I think it's, it's, it's really nice for both of the gender to, to know, 
to have a holistic approach. And you remind me by Eckhart Tolle, you know, the famous author and with his book, The Power of Now. And somehow, let me quote one of his line in interview. They ask uh, Eckhart Tolle that, is it suffering necessary in our life? And he, he answered a brilliant answer. And I never forget. He said, suffering, it is necessary to understand it is not necessary. You know, I mean, it's a very deep answer for that. And I think you mentioned that sometimes I need to be in the moment and just enjoying and there is no need to suffer myself for thinking about what will happen in the, in the future. And, uh, you know, women by nature, they think about their, they are multitasking, you know, they have a lot of things to do, you know, they're thinking about the home, about the kids and their nature. And this is why I'll go back to your uh, point that when it comes for crisis, I prefer female centric leadership. Why? Because in crisis, you are handling many things at the same time and you need this uh, female advantage. But as male, maybe for strategic goals and when things are stable and steady, maybe I'll uh, I'll prefer to go to the male centric. As I said, both are important, but somehow I need this uh, female centric features when it comes. And I think um, both of them, they need to understand. And I really appreciate the concept, the ego rhythm that you, you mentioned it. I, I think, uh, we need to read the book. Definitely, I'll read the book after you explain this concept, the ego rhythm. And um, it will be beneficial not only for the employee as organization behavior. I mean, this field, organization behavior, they should understand this concept. That is actually, you know, that's what I do in my corporate work and the workplace unification aspect of things is where I help organizations to figure this out on how to do this because they're, it's it's really not that difficult to do. It's, um, you know, when we raise the awareness and we take the competitive aspect out and we replace it with a more collaborative thinking, then we are, um, we are not having as much friction. The friction only comes from when I need to prove a point and I feel that my point needs to be heard over your point. But when I know that my point is heard and your point is heard, then we are not in competition, then we're in collaboration. And I did a talk for um, a pharmaceutical company, uh, Johnson & Johnson, the Janssen um, arm that just came out with the COVID vaccine. So I spoke to the team that did the COVID-19 vaccine development. And the uh, CTO brought me on and he said, Beate, I need you to get the point across that our team of 200 scientists and uh, research and development people all over the world, that they have everything that they need, that they have the quality of uh, the research, they have the right people in place, they're all in this together, help them see that they're one team and each contribution matters to arrive at the outcome. And so when I spoke to them, the takeaway of this for them was, it may not be your idea, but it may be the idea that was sparked by your idea that brought the breakthrough. And that, I think, also applies to civil engineering. It may not be your idea, but your idea that sparked the solution to the problem you were searching for. 
So, Beata, you know, um, you mentioned this a great example. It is the impact. You know, it is maybe your impact will develop the it will develop to uh, to the new idea. Your impact it may maybe you know the true legacy I think here in leadership is the impact here that you will leave. It is not your name. It is not the memory. It is the impact that you will leave to the next generation. And as you mentioned, you know, sometimes we hear we don't listen. You know, and this is one of the main obstacles that we face in the leadership that we need more listening, more mindful listening that. Uh, and um, this is why most of the people, when they talk about the leadership, the last stage of leadership is to make other leaders. I mean, this is this is the most important step if to, to become a true leaders, to prepare. I mean, uh, and this is where all the great CEOs before they leave, they prepare the next CEO to come, you know? And unfortunately, in the corporate world, without mentioning name, we see many organizations, big organizations, once the famous CEO leave, they will be in chaos. But many other organizations, the CEO, before he leave, he have this transition period, and the next guy, he will lead very smoothly. And uh, I think people are... um, misleading or they are not focusing this point about how I live. You know, there is a quote, they said, the way they live tell you the whole story. Oh, wow. I love that. You're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Um, First of all, you know, I I mean, in my, in my, in my world, I definitely want to leave the world better than I found it. Uh, And this might be preposterous, you know, or or who says that God needs me to make anything better. But I certainly uh, feel that, when we have a breakthrough or we have figured something out and we can put ourselves in service of humanity and to really make an impact to help people to be happier, have a better life, live better, be more fulfilled, be, uh, you know, be, be better at their relationships. A lot of people are not very aware they live day by day. They, you know, the life is a struggle. They fight. They don't have the awareness. So when you do have the awareness and you can put that in service, I don't think there's any any greater reward. For me personally, what's been happening, you know, I am I'm obviously not 30. I'm not 20. I'm in my 50s. So I am in America now called an, a middle-aged feminist. And so I get a lot of hate because I am not aging well and uh, because I'm outspoken and I, you know, I, I don't keep my mouth shut. I don't know where my place is. And at the same time, what I'm finding is that my audience is becoming younger and younger and I'm attracting a lot more of a younger generation, which is exactly what I want. And so the word role model keeps coming up, you know, and I got, I spoke at International Women's Day at three different events and I got email after email and LinkedIn connections and and women said to me, I want to be like you when I grow up and I, you are my, my new role model. And that is so powerful and so fulfilling and so sweet to say that what I went through, what I experienced wasn't for nothing, but someone else is taking this experience and is, is, is giving themselves an easier to a tool to make something better. I mean, to your point, 
every leader needs to lift other leaders up or you are not a leader. You're whatever, an imposter. Real leaders lift other people up. The more, the better. I can't resonate with that, actually, to be lifting. We all will kind of live by lifting each other. Actually, someone said to me that. So because, because to be honest, like, especially like, okay, our age is gone. Like, what about Gen Z? And what about millennium? When the more you help them, the more maybe you can do better and they can improve about our point and they can move the food to the and can do it to the next generation and next future. Okay, we did mistake. We don't want okay, we let them improve, let them make mistake, let them own, let them now follow us, follow the same role model as what we did. Unfortunately, unfortunately, like we are like if we are old, we don't have to like we are gone and that's it. No. We should we should always grow each other, we call it happen. I think this also can be rolled the same to the engineer also because unfortunately what I see like an old manager in the 50 when he resigned he doesn't care like he doesn't, he doesn't give the business to other guy or other business or other man so do you resonate with me with that like not only like rolling to, to the other to the younger people and also start picking a younger generation to be leadership especially generation Gen Z and the new generation do you agree with that especially the younger generation shall be leadership from a young age uh, yes, I think that um, when we judge other generations, we are just as bad as our parents. Because remember, our parents told us, this new generation is so different than us. They're just not as smart, as intelligent, as, as, as thorough. I mean, my mother, who is 85, you know, she says, I just don't understand this generation. Well, because you're not even trying. I believe that every generation has a gift and every generation has a viewpoint. When I look at millennials and Gen Z and I see that they are refusing to be uh, um, just a chess piece in, an, in, a, in a larger concept, but they want to make an impact, they want to have purpose, they want to have passion. I mean, why would I argue with that? Do I not want people who are passionate about what they do in my company? Do I not want people that want to work toward a bigger purpose in my company? Of course I do. So you look for, again, this t ties us back to how we started, the gift, the opportunity. So I really appreciated that. So any, can, any final thoughts from you, Ms. Payati? Uh, yes, I, um, I probably would have two final thoughts. I'm going to uh, tell you that Look at failure as an opportunity, and I want you all to fail a lot faster, because if you fail faster, you will get to your goal much quicker. And the second thought I want to leave you is with the wisdom that my dad taught me, and it is that cherish your relationships before you tell one to buzz off and uh, you tell them to go get lost. Make sure you never need them again. Relationships are everything. I got to with that. And most of the advice can be applicable even to civil engineer, what you said today. Because 180 to 100% of the information can be applicable to, to civil engineer. So it was really nice to meet you, Ms. Payat. And we really need to meet you again when you publish a new book or the next book. Please, we need to say that. Yeah, I've had such a great, uh, great time. And I really want to commend you because you guys have, I can see how your brains are working. And I've had a great time on, on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And take care. I'm wishing you the best. Bye.
wow, it was a fantastic episode. Really, I learned a lot from her and her perspective and her career and her personality. Yeah, if there are many things I have to learn with her. So, guys, I want to tell you something. Making us a review in Apple Podcasts will help us a lot to know about us and how we can improve our post And even making a comment or subscribing in our Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform will help us a lot so we can know how many audience and we can know how we can improve. So thank you guys. I wish you the best and take care and bye. To wrap it up this episode, hopefully you're going to like it. I wish you the best for work and good luck and see you in another episode. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. See you guys. Have a good day and good night. Thank you. Good night.